me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Morning, everybody. Great to see you on this rainy Sunday morning. Pastors do not like rain on Sunday morning, but thank you for braving that rain and being here today. Uh, this is part three, Love is Blind. Today is the rhythm of romance. Paul Dirac um, was a theoretical physicist, maybe uh, behind Einstein, the most brilliant theoretical physicist there, there was in the 20th century. Uh, he correctly predicted the existence of antimatter. He won a Nobel Prize when he was just 31 years old in 1933, but he wasn't much of a social person. Uh, he had a lot, of, a lot of problems when it came to connecting with other people in deep and meaningful ways. Some people said that he was the equivalent of a social black hole. In 1934, he met a lady named Mansi, and she, in many ways, was his opposite. She was extroverted, he was introverted. She was fun, he wasn't fun. <laughs> he knew a lot about science. She was scientifically illiterate. She saw something in him, even though they were opposites, and she just took this big interest in him, and she would begin to write him letters. He would respond by correcting her grammar. <laughs> She said that he deserved another Nobel Prize in cruelty. But she kept after it because she saw something in him that he didn't even see in himself. And she got him to begin to share his dreams, to confess his fears. And he slowly, slowly, slowly began to soften. He said something one time when they parted ways. He said, I feel something new I've never felt before. I miss you. I've never missed anybody in my life. Wow, it's incredible. They ended up marrying and they were married for over 50 years. He wrote her in one love letter these words. He said, Mansi, my darling, you have made a wonderful alteration in my life. And then listen to this last part, he says, you have made me human. Love is powerful. Love actually makes us humans. It makes us who we are supposed to be. There's a lot written about Jesus in the Bible and also about how he is like but unlike Adam. And how Jesus Christ has become the human being that we are supposed to be. And how Adam has fallen short and how we are to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Love is powerful. Christ is love. In the opening page of the Bible, we read that it is not good to be alone in the wisdom of the word. I mean, the wisdom of the word to understand that those many years ago, it is not good to be alone. We can't become the humans we're meant to be. 
unless we are loving. Well, let me share a couple things with you that we know today to be absolutely true that verify what God's word said. Love does three powerful things in our life. It makes us stronger, smarter, and more successful at life. Smarter. Do you realize this? Love actually raises your cognitive abilities. Yeah, it makes you smarter. When you are in a secure functioning relationship with somebody, it makes you smarter. It makes you stronger. You heal faster. You feel less pain. There's a whole list of things that it does. Let me give you one thing it does. Cardiovascular. Your whole cardiovascular system will be better when you are in love. Lastly, it makes you more successful at the big stuff in life. I'm talking about meaning and purpose and passion and inspiration. The things that we crave, the things we can't live without. Feeling hope. This comes from a loving relationship. Well, today I want to talk specifically uh, to kind of two different groups of people. I want to talk to people who are already married um, and maybe you find yourself as many, many, I'd say probably almost every couple finds yourself at some point at a place where you feel just like you're going through the motions. Is there a way to actually spark love to life or for people who aren't married, but would one day like to get married? And we've said this before over 90% of Americans who are single and this city is 70% single would like to one day be married. Now, I do want to recognize this, and I've said this before. Many of us have been hurt. And I've said that, you know, your past is always present in your present. Those past relationships, and they start with your parents. If you didn't, you didn't get a secure functioning relationship, like God is your creator and your parents are your creators. It's why in the Ten Commandments that God and your parents are on the same side. There's two tablets same side, God, you have to wonder why did we throw my parents in on the same side of the tablet that God is? Because everything else is the other side with human beings. What, are, what do my parents have to do with God? They're both your creators. And so if you don't get secure functioning uh, from your parents, if you don't get that what you need, it severely affects you. Parents have a huge impact upon your life. But then your past relationships. Your past is always present in your present. And here the reality is, is that some of us, either can't have the relationship that we really need to be all that we can be because of those. I just want to say that you're not stuck. You're not stuck. There are things that you can do to heal you, but I know that not all of us are there. So I just want to acknowledge that at the beginning, but you are not stuck. Now, for those of us who are in a relationship, your heart can be awakened. We can do things this title of this sermon is the rhythm of romance. There are routines that all of us can do, all of us can do to awaken our hearts. Now, if you are writing a love letter, I want you to interject the word that you would end this letter with, like fill in the blank for me. Like if you sign this off, I love you with all my, what would you put in there? Heart, right? Or you have stolen my heart, right? It's poetically right. It's romantically right. It's not anatomically correct, but in all the other ways. So last week I talked a lot about the brain. And, and for many of us, when we hear it, just like me, it was a disconnect for me. But anatomically correct is, is I love you with all my brain. It just doesn't sound good. 
right? And that's the way the Bible uses it. When you see the Bible many times using the word heart, what it is speaking of is actually the brain. It's actually speaking of the brain. And when we talk about falling in love with someone, or I love you with all my heart, what we're actually saying is I love you with all my brain. Now, I'm going to use heart a lot today, but I just want you to know what it really means, right? That's why we went through the whole thing last week with our brains, with our brains, because it's so very, very important. I also want to uh, encourage you, I've given you a list of resources, but I want to suggest one, uh, just one this week, and the first week we talked about a whole list of them. Stephanie Cassiopo wrote a book called Wired for Love, uh, and I would highly recommend that. It takes us through lots of different uh, things. Um, she's, a, she's a neuroscientist who focused on love. She was married to a guy, also a famous, more famous than her, scientist, and his focus was on loneliness loneliness. And he would write um, that loneliness, actually, it's like, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, that we need, we need each other. And so you got the two of them together and they got married and there you go. Uh, before I start on this list of routines and we get all excited about these routines, the first week in this series, I said, you have to ask this question. If you're in a relationship, you have, this is where it all starts. And if you haven't asked the question, everything I'm getting ready to say of no value, you're going to go nowhere. Matter of fact, you might offend your partner. Okay. You have to begin by asking the question, what makes you feel safe and secure? This past week I saw on, I get this news feed and it was like the number one thing, the number one thing that destroys relationships. And what did it say? It's when you take for granted your partner, when you take it. So we talked about automating your relationship. When you take for granted, when you automate the relationship, you have to prioritize your partner. And if you haven't asked this question, what makes you feel safe and secure? Forget, you might as well just check out on everything I'm about ready to say, because it's not going to work. And if you do what I'm going to suggest here in a minute, it could cause a fight and we don't want to fight. So I would encourage you ask the question first and then get into what we're going to talk about. So here's my one big point today, one big idea to keep us focused, all right? Pucker up, baby. Pucker up. Can you say that with me? Pucker up. One, two, three. Pucker up. Pucker up. Turns out people in love do a lot of kissing. Let's read what it says in the Song of Solomon. You get to verse number two, and this is all about a couple who are fully alive in their relationship. Like there is no problem with passion in their relationship. Matter of fact, the Bible, many scholars call the Song of Solomon, every, and some of you haven't even read the Song of Solomon. And when you read it, it's like, this is in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. It sure is in the Bible. And then you're going to say, does that mean what I think it means? Yes, it probably means exactly what you think it means. Okay, but here's how it begins. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth mouth for your love is better than wine so it turns out that kissing wakes up your brain it wakes up your heart it wakes up your love heart kiss 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 now here's a sad reality is that a lot of couples stop kissing to their own demise that has got to change some of you might even break out into kiss right here before we end this service today. But I'm telling you, you got to start kissing because it turns out that people who are in love and people who feel passion and people feel like, oh, man, yeah, man, our passion, our love is alive. They, they kiss a lot. And this is what God's word says. It all starts in the Song of Solomon with this couple who were just on fire for each other. It turns out they do a lot of kissing. Kissing is important. As I said a moment ago, it wakes up your love brain. Now. If you're married here today, you didn't get married to have a mediocre marriage. You got married to have a smoking hot marriage. That's why you got married, okay? So, you got a kiss. Now, we're going to show you a clip from Love is Blind, right? And we we figured out 
okay, from this, that all the content experts are in the nine o'clock service. Like hardly anybody's watching it at the second or the third service. But you, okay, so, so this was put together by a content expert. Check out the screen. Okay, so what the content experts tell me is that's the most famous couple from Love is Blind. Is that true? All right, there's four or five of you in here this morning. Guess love is blind. People don't like to go out in the rain. All right, so these guys do a lot of kissing. Their relationship's going to be completely over if they stop kissing. Kissing is very, very important. Now, I'm not talking about you have to kiss their face off, all right? And that's not what I'm talking about, okay? We're just talking about, a, you know, a small kiss will work, okay? But you got to kiss. You got to kiss. And this is where the Bible... Now, okay. I want to be clear here. I'm not telling you to stop praying for your marriage. I'm not telling you to do that, okay? Please pray for your marriage. Please get down on your knees and pray. Matter of fact, pray with your partner all the time. People who have great marriages, pray together, right? Very, very important. But the Bible is so hyper-practical. So we're going to take care of a lot of practical stuff today because the Bible focuses on a lot of practical stuff. And so we're going to hit this. And the Bible says it all starts with kissing. Now, I said a minute ago, Scholars, and then I didn't complete my sentence. Scholars call the Song of Solomon the holiest book in the Bible. Man, are you serious? That's some serious pucker power, right? It's the holiest book in the whole Bible. Look at the practical things that are covered in this. Verse number 10 says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Let me see your face. This is really important. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. There is a routine that exists throughout the entire book of the Song of Solomon that is very practical. And it focuses on these different things that we're going to talk about today throughout this that actually awaken our hearts. They awaken our love. And they're all found in the Song of Solomon. I'm going to put them up all for you. And then we're going to go through them, okay? So Song of Solomon talks a lot about these issues. And then, and then these things, these important routine things, habits of successfully fully passionate people, eyes and face, the way you say hello, the way you say goodbye, the way you say good morning, the way you say good night, breathing, and novelty, these things. So we're going to leave them up here a lot for you, but I'm going to talk through these things very, very quick. But these are important defining moments in a couple's life. And when you do them, they build an emotional connection that prevent conflict. I was thinking today about talking about conflict resolution, and I decided, you know what, you know, I'm going to swim farther upstream, and I want to talk about conflict prevention. When you build a strong emotional connection by doing these things we're going to talk about it will actually prevent fights and isn't that better we all have to learn how to deal with conflict okay but i'd like to actually prevent it because some of us are just in our relationships we're walking around with that low grade now they kind of you know what i'm saying we don't you don't fight all the time but you have these spike fights every now and then but you're you're little more than roommates Okay, you're just existing. You're taking each other for granted and you're not feeling that passion. So we're going to talk about how to get it back. So let's talk about eyes and face first. What's going on with the eyes and the face here? It's very important to turn to your partner and to look them fully in the face, actually to look them straight in the eye. This is very important. We're distracted by lots of things. Has anybody ever, will you admit to this? Has anybody ever gotten in a fight in the car? 
Anybody ever gotten in a fight in a car? Okay, one person has gotten in a fight in a car. Let me tell you what's going on in your brain. When you see somebody out of your periphery, it puts a trigger off in your, in your brain. You trigger it. says, hey, there's, there's, a, there's an alarm going on here. There's something to be afraid of. But when you look that person dead in the eye, you want to calm a fight down right away, turn to that person. Get off the phone. Turn to that person. If you have to pull the car off, over. Turn to the person, look them dead in the eye, and it immediately calms down that power hungry part of your brain and it gets into that good part of your brain that's dealing with the social harmony and promotes peace look in the eye this is a proven fact this is what happens look them in the eye we got to spend more time looking people in the eye anybody watch karate kid all those years ago right daniel son always look eye Anybody know that? Always look eye. I want you to remember the same thing. Great movie. Go see it right now. All right. After this is over, always look eye. Turn that alarm off when you look into the eye. It awakens your love heart. There was something that happened in the late uh, 90s. Uh, this scientist said, you know what, he's going to do this thing. And some of you have heard about it, but where you ask 36 questions to fall in love, you bring two strangers together and you, you have them work through all these questions to fall in love. Well, the final part of that is you stare into the stranger's eyes for four minutes straight. And it's really creepy in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? That's just really weird in the beginning. But they found that couples started falling in love and getting married. There is a connection that happens through the eyes. Jesus talks about that. There's a connection that happens through the eyes, the windows to the soul, right? There's a connection that happens, a connection, emotional connection. We must start looking our partners in the eyes. Can you do that? Can you do that? Because if you're not doing that, it's just going to dampen that relationship and that connection that is so important between the two of you. Hellos and goodbyes. This is really important. Hellos and goodbyes. How you do it. These are defining moments in our relationship. The way you say hello, like at the end of the day or when you've come back together or the way that you say goodbye is very, very important. Years ago, Krista, many, many years before we knew all this stuff, before we understood all this stuff, I said, Krista, what do you want me to do? This is like early on in our relationship. She says, I need you to kiss me when you leave. Say, kiss me. Hey, I love you. And when you leave and then when you come back, I need you to kiss me and say, hey, you know, so good to see you. Now, what we have learned now from science is that actually is an important moment. How do you say hello to each other, right? I mean, do you, do you, do you greet each other? You just say, hey, take out the trash. All right. So I mean, it's really important the way that you say hello and goodbye. Now, um, I, uh, Krista, I'm not as social as she is. She's very extroverted. I, I am not. Okay. And so she says when I come in, she called for, uh, Winnie the Pooh fans, Eeyore. That's what she's very, very hurtful. Uh, but she's like, Meeyore. And you know, when I come in, I'm kind of, we're trying to remember the cartoon character when we were a kid. There's a cartoon character that would always like mumble. She said, you just come in and you mumble. You're like, and you're looking down. You're not happy. You're not happy. I need you to be happy. And we have a big problem. We'll show you a picture uh, of the dog. Um, this is our dog, Chloe, her dog, Chloe. Let me, sorry about that. That's her dog, Chloe. Not our dog. Uh, this is her dog, Chloe. She, she loves this dog. And when they, when they, when they greet each other, it's off the charts. And usually when she greets me, it's not off the charts. And so I complain, why do you love the dog so much? And why do you not love me so much? You know, the last thing she texted me this morning, she said, she said, don't call the dog dumb. Don't call it a dumb dog. She, the only thing she's thinking about is this dog. She's not like, Hey, uh, all the best with the sermon today. No, it's like, 
Take care of the dog. All right. So I said, Krista, why, why is it that you love this dog so much? She said, it's because of the way that the dog greets me. When you can finally reach the level where you greet me like the dog, then we're gonna, then we're gonna be okay. I haven't even reached the point where I'm a human. You know, I'm like below dog human. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to meet this standard right here. So I'll come in sometimes now that we know this and I'm right, whatever. And she'll say, go back out. Come back in again. Try it. Try it again. Because these hellos and goodbyes are they are pivotal moment. How do you greet each other? Look in the eye. Look in the face. The way you say hello. The way you say goodbye. These things are very, very important. Okay. The way you say good night and good morning. The way you go from consciousness to unconsciousness. The way you go from unconsciousness to consciousness. Very important. And we, we talk a lot about meditation today, and it's very important what you do at the start of the day and what you do at the end. Now, the Bible has been on this meditation kick for a long time. And the way that you start the morning and the way you start the night, what you do in your relationship with your partner, the, 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 what you do right as you go to bed, like the last thing you go to bed, probably one of the most important things you could do is look them in the eye, have some type of, you know, wind down from the day, let your partner know that you love them, right? Maybe it's a good time for a kiss. I don't know, okay? But those things that you do in those moments are really important. And then when you wake up in the morning, same thing. The Bible says what you do in the morning, the first start of the day, at the break of the day, what do you do? And then what do you do through the watches of the night? These moments are incredibly important, okay? Now let's talk about breathing, Breathing. Turns out that lovers do a lot of heavy breathing, okay? What is with all this breathing? Well, you know what's fascinating, everybody? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the first chapters in the Bible, there's a lot of breathing going on here. Now, you'll see it as spirit, but it's a Hebrew word called ruach, which means your breath. Your breath, right? And God breathes into him the breath of life. But then you see after Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, he meets the disciples in John chapter 20. And then it says these words, like, what's going on here? He breathes on them the breath of life. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. I think it has a lot to do with your brain. But just work with me for a minute here, everybody. There's something fascinating that is going on. I, um, I come from a long line of people. And we talk about today. Now, breathe. Breathe. I breathe. I come from a long line of people who don't respect that at all. Like it doesn't make a bit of sense to me. I have a cousin of mine and this is, this is years ago. He was at Fairfax hospital, uh, doing a birthing class with his wife for his firstborn, first firstborn. And, uh, they turned all the lights out in the room and you're there next to your, your spouse, right? Laying there and you're getting ready and they're talking you through this and they start doing all these breathing exercises. And, uh, they, the whale music, does anybody remember the whale music? Does anybody old enough remember that? It was really popular. Like, I don't think I, I don't hear it so much. Okay. Thank you for, uh, so, so they had this. So, so my cousin is in this room. Now the lights are out and you got all these people and they're all laying on the floor, taking all it and, and then they wanted you to breathe and feel your breath. Well, he started laughing so hard. Remember, my family doesn't respect. He started laughing so hard that the, that the person running the class kicked him out of the class. Have you ever known anybody to get kicked out of a birthing class, right? So I'm just trying to tell you, I have no respect for the breathing thing. But be to breathe, breathe, don't respect for it. Until I read this. When you are in the middle of a conflict, everybody, it's important to breathe. 
I think this is why we see so much breathing in the beginning of the Bible that's connected to our brain. Here's what happens when you breathe in for five seconds and hold it and slowly breathe out for five seconds. It activates your smart vagus. Now, what's a smart vagus? I have no idea, but it's smart. It's smart. They wouldn't have named it if it wasn't smart. And what happens if you don't activate the smart vagus? When you're in a conflict, you work off of your dumb vagus. I don't know what that is either, but we're figuring it's probably dumb. So what actually happens when you're in a conflict? When you're in a conflict, okay, it's always good to turn, face eye, right? Get the car with the fight, with the side thing. Turn, face eye, look, look them in the face. Take a breath, activate that smart vagus, be smart, how many times have we been in a conflict and we look back and say, that was the dumbest thing. I acted like, I heard a person say, a marriage therapist say years ago, when couples fight, they act like teenagers. They act like adolescents, okay? All of us do it. All of us do it. Isn't that true? I look back on the fights that we've had and I'm like, oh yeah, that was really dumb. You know I was dumb? Because we didn't activate our smart vagus. So breathe, breathe. This is the routine that will wake up your love brain. Now I want to give you one last one from our list here okay novelty novelty doing something new we get stuck in our relationships we don't do something new this couple in the song of Solomon were constantly doing something new everything was when you began dating and you thought like oh my gosh we're head over i just did a wedding yesterday and this couple they talked on their first date for five hours straight and they said it felt like a minute right they their first date lasted like eight hours i hear this all the time and then all of a sudden five years down the road it's like you spend five minutes with somebody and you think it's been five hours what happened what changed what turned around one of the things that turned around is all the stuff we talked about but it's doing something new when you guys first got together everything was new everything was new please do something new and if you can add movement to it all the better go take a walk dance you know what it turns out is that people that are dancers are lovers there's something about doing like, okay, you know, if you've danced a lot before, fine, it won't be new. But, but, but if it, if you haven't danced before, and a lot of people don't, if you haven't danced before, when you're doing something new and you're actually moving together, it builds cohesion. Walk, walk together, but don't take the same path all the time. Do something new. It builds unity and cohesion between it. Why do you think the military marches together? Why do you think the military chants together? I don't know what it is, left, left, whatever that is, okay, right? Because chanting and marching together as a team builds unit cohesion. It is a scientific fact. Dance, walk, do something new. Now, uh, a number of years ago, uh, Chris and I saw this movie. It's many years ago, so I think this movie was in the 90s. Anybody recognize this movie right here? Boom, The River Wild, Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon. Does anybody recognize that? Anybody see that movie? Yes? Yeah, come here. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Uh, Krista had never been whitewater rafting before. And so we saw, saw this movie. She's like, I want to go whitewater rafting. Now, I'd been whitewater rafting many times up in uh, Pennsylvania. Yakagani, uh, Ohio Powell State Park. Some of you have been there. Uh, welcome, Joe. Joe's going to come out because we're getting ready to have communion. And so uh, we went. We got in this little ducky. We didn't do the big, huge six-person raft. We did this little two-person little ducky thing. She had a blast. It was new. It was novel. We were working together in this little ducky thing. It lit the fires of our romance all over again. Everybody, I'm just telling you this 
Remember these things. You got to kiss. You got to kiss. Please pucker up. Puckering up has a lot of power. You got to look in each other's eyes. You got to do something new. You got to breathe. These are the routines that the Bible emphasizes upon us that we need to do. You didn't get married to have a mediocre marriage. And if you want to one day be married, you got to remember this stuff because you want your passion to be alive. Now, we're going to take communion. You're saying to yourself, how in the world does communion fit into all this stuff? I don't know, but we're going to give it a try, right? Right, Joe? Give it a try. I hope you have one of these for communion, and I want to explain why it's so uh, very, very important today. This is critically, critically important. All right, what you have in here, and we've got a little write-up on the screens if you're new to grace and you want to know what's the deal with communion, you can just read that. What you have in here is a little wafer that represents the body of Christ and the juice that represents the blood of Christ. And in that culture and in that day, 2,000 years ago, it represents all of Christ's life. And so when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, what you're saying is these ideas that Christ championed aren't just ideas. You actually want to bring them into your life. That's why we eat and we drink together. Now, here's the thing, everybody. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the one that we should fix our eyes upon, that we should follow, that we should focus on, has all, that we should worship, all these elevated things. Why is that? Why is that? It's really important. There's a very common saying that says, you are what you eat. But more accurately is, it's you are what you love. You are what you love. And if Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in your life, if Christ is above all else, then here's what's really important for us to know. The Bible is very clear over and over again that Jesus Christ is love. And what is love in the Bible? It's being patient. It's being kind. It's being forgiving. It's always being there. Those are the vital ingredients of creating a secure, functioning relationship. Isn't that fascinating? So let me tie all that together for you. Once you understand who Jesus is, and he is the one that is actually the leader of your life, you begin to look a whole lot more like Jesus. If you understand that Jesus Christ is love and patience and kindness and forgiveness and it will always be there for you. All of a sudden, you begin to emulate. You begin to reflect those character values of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'd like all of us to think about today, because this is critically important. You must have secure functioning relationships in your life to be happy. To be actually, as Paul Dirac said, to be a human. To be the human that God created you to be. I'd like us to take a moment before we eat this bread and we drink this cup. And just have a conversation one-on-one with God. Lord, help me not to just know about these as ideas, but to actually embody them. To take your life within me. To create an atmosphere around me that is conducive to secure, functioning relationships. Let us pray. Lord, We're just taking these moments here in the quietness. And we're thinking about who you are, Jesus.
your values. Lord, help us not to just know about love and to have knowledge about being patient and kind, creating this secure environment. Instead, Jesus, in these moments, would you fill us with your spirit that empowers us to actually live it out. Lord, I ask that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. Every person here, every single person here would embody the vital ingredients to creating those relationships that you want us to. In Christ's name.